0: I'm Andrea, one of the hosts of the Voice of San Diego podcast. Every week, I get together with the other editors at Voice and explain the news that matters in San Diego. Elections, politics, law enforcement, big investigations, and some fun stuff. The great palm tree debate, ranked choice voting, bike lane mania. It's great journalism and a lot of fun. Every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, that's Voice of San Diego. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 15 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. This is the second of our two-part interview with Nick Berardi, the 2022 U.S. Roasting Champion, and head roaster at Moster Coffee Company. He joined the show from Hawaii earlier this year, where he was enjoying the perks of being the U.S. Roasting Champion, and starting to think about the World Roasting Championships, which are in Milan, Italy, later this week, June 23rd through the 25th. Nick and the Moster team will be there representing the United States, which dovetails nicely into the final portion of this interview, in which we really go through Nick's competition experience how he made his roasting plan personal, and what being part of a team means to him. Follow at Moster Coffee on Instagram to see stories from Italy, and go to MosterCoffee.com to see all of the roasted coffees they have on offer. And if you haven't heard of the Moster Experience, be sure to click that tab. The 2022 Experience event isn't until October, but it's already on my calendar now. You can find those links in this show's notes, or subscribe to the newsletter on roastwestcoast.com. I'm on the road camping right now, so there is a good, a very good chance that I'm heating up some water on the camp stove and getting ready to make an AeroPress coffee from a nearby local roaster. It's officially summer, but this week my wife and I are camping above 5,000 feet of elevation, so the mornings are still cool, making this fireside coffee all the more enjoyable. This is one of my coffee happy places. Where are your coffee happy places? I hope you're there now with your favorite coffee drink and you're getting ready to get the full championship roaster experience because it is time for the second and final part of this interview with the champ, Nick Berardi, head roaster of Moster Coffee Company. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Sorry,
1: I went off on a little tangent there.
0: No, no, no. I, I What I'm wondering really is kind of, you know, what you did win. So what do you... What goes into that that we don't necessarily see from the outside? Obviously the prep, but like when you're actually there that day in the time that you have, you know, what is that, that moment like? I mean, how, how many... Batches? Are you roasting? Like, is it? It's not like you are doing twenty five batches. I am assuming.
1: Yeah, and and it is funny though. This even, you know, you are saying, you know, we don't know what's going on. You said, what, what was that day like? It was basically three full days of basically working. So I missed the orientation on Wednesday evening because I bought my flight as soon as the expo was announced and the orient uh, the online learning session before the competition. They said that orientation would be Wednesday evening. But I showed up uh, early at about 6 a.m. on Thursday to meet with Sheila from uh, the SCA U.S. Coffee Championships. And uh, she was super awesome and showed me around, showed me where you know the tent outside in Boston in the 40 to 50 degree weather with the roasters was, and, uh, and the area where the judges would be, where the green grading competition would be, and where the, uh, the roasters cupping uh, area was. And, and then from there, that Thursday morning, They had it set up to where the first stage of the competition, the sample roasting, where you're given 600 grams of the competition coffee and 40 minutes on the roaster everybody was scheduled at the same time of day for their roast sessions. So I roasted on uh, Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. All my roasts were at about one fifteen to one thirty in the afternoon. Uh, so the people who were roasting at 7.30 in the morning were still dealing with the same conditions, 7.30 basically every day of the week, as long as the weather was consistent. So the, the competition committee for the roasters, the judges and the volunteers did an amazing job of mitigating any exigent circumstances as they could. But I had my opportunity to just hang out and wait until I roasted Thursday uh, at about 1.30 in the afternoon. And I met a lot of the other competitors. A lot of them had brought coffee, coffee with themselves. So it cupped, got to know a handful of people, uh, went out and you know, prior to going out for my sample roast, people were talking. Do we, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to do two batches at 300 grams each, or I'm going to do uh, one batch at 600 grams, and I had only roasted uh, 500 to 600 gram batches in my preparation for the competition. That was because the, the old manual that I had taken a look at was based on the previous roaster manufacturer. And so the sample mass that I assumed we were going to be giving was 500 grams. So I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to roast 250 grams and get two roasts in on a stronghold. That's too low to hit the sensor just by that much. But uh, the committee, uh, the judges realized this before the competition and put out an update prior to sample roasting beginning that we were going to be giving 600 grams of coffee. So I, I was back and forth during the day, but when I went out to the tent for my sample roast, I ended up doing two 300 gram batches Uh, since I knew that I wasn't going to have a very strong grasp on how, what the, what the metrics, you know, halogen at nine or what, you know, the adjustments on the actual roaster needed to be for such small batches because I hadn't done it before. I just figured that I would roast the coffee to be uh, super light and fast and then one really low and slow, medium plus batch. Other people took different approaches. Some people did a more traditional sample roast. Some people did two, three hundred. Some people just did um, a 600 gram batch because at the end of the competition, at the end of the day on Saturday, we all had to hand in uh, one full pound of coffee to the judges for them to cup. And so a 600 gram batch would easily yield that. So competing mindsets, uh, both at, you know, uh, pros and cons. If you do two smaller batches, you get to experience more of what the coffee has to offer. If you did one larger batch, you get to see how the coffee would roast at a potential production profile. So everybody took uh, different things to it and different things away from that.
0: Quick question, um, and I'm going to plead ignorance here. That one pound batch that you turn in, is that a combination of the three days that you're roasting or the different batches, or is it separate batches?
1: As we walk through how the, the competition went for all the roasters, um, you'll kind of that'll be more elucidated. But that was the roast that I did Saturday. So my Thursday was just sample roasting. Over the first two days, Thursday and Friday, they split competitors out for green grading coffee. Which is something that people do for Q grading, but we're given an evaluation sheet where we have to measure the moisture density, the moisture of the coffee, the density of the coffee, judge the color of the coffee. This is all green, the the green the color of the unroasted coffee, the aroma, the odor of unroasted coffee. Um, then uh, use uh, screens to uh, size grade the coffee and then pick out defects. And that part of the competition for me almost cost me the whole thing because that was a a 24 point score sheet. 18 points of it was the defect section. And I think I got 11 out of 18 on the defect section. That goes to, again, what I was saying about even though I won the competition, I'm still relatively a novice roaster because I was looking at any bean that potentially had any insect damage and categorizing that as partial insect damage. That's not how it works. A lot of aspects with how the roaster's competition is set up is to make sure that you don't accidentally do the best. So I'll talk about the roast plan in a couple seconds, but there's no way to accidentally roast the best coffee, I guess I would say, in this competition. My green grading, I I did not do very well on, and that's what I'm going to practice a lot for before, before Milan coming up in June. The green grading session, uh, I was in the room with uh, Rudy from uh, Altamato from Alustra Coffee. Uh, Hi, Rudy. And he was done in like 12 minutes. And he was the only person to get a perfect score on it. And I asked him about it. Uh, not only is he a Q grader, but anytime he wants to go buy coffee, he just drives to a farm in Mexico. And he actually grades the coffee himself. So he just it's just an old hat for him. For me, I, I definitely need to practice on the precision of what actually is because again, I was picking out things like thinking, okay, well this doesn't look that great. I'm gonna throw it in the defect pile. And that's not the precision that the competition calls for. The, the, the competition calls for the precision of knowing, is this um, a withered bean or is this a immature bean? And if you look at the, the typical SCA defect chart, they look pretty close to the same, but there are some distinct differences. Or like a, a bean can have like a fold in it that would either look like a withered bean or potentially look like insect damage and in the end, not actually be considered a defect. So that's something that I ran into with that. I didn't do my green grading until Friday. So I roasted my sample on Thursday and then kind of took an idea. Um, when, whenever we were executing any part of the competition as a roaster, one of the judges or the volunteers would uh, escort us. So we got our coffee inside at the expo and they carried it outside with us to the roaster and set it down where another judge then took over just to make sure nobody was doing any hanky-panky with the coffee or anything like that. Um, And then we were given five minutes to prep the roaster, 40 minutes to roast and and five minutes to clean up uh, our area. And then we were escorted back inside with the roasted coffee and a coated bag to hand in. The next day on Friday, we were able to cup our roasted coffee. That was the coffee that was for the competition. So it was a washed Columbia. uh, And one of the things I learned from other competitors is look at the sponsors of the competition. The sponsor of uh, the roasters competition for green coffee was Ally Coffee. And so, almost all the other roasters knew it was either going to be a Colombia or a Brazil, and that the competition probably wasn't going to give us a Brazil. So, I learned that a little too late. I had practiced with like some Ethiopia, some um, some El Salvador, some Papua New Guinea, just all types of stuff. But that was the coffee they were given uh, for the sample roast, and at the end for the for the final production roast. So we cupped, and I figured out a couple different things about how I wanted to present my coffee to the judges. And the green grading was actually done with different coffee. It was not the competition coffee uh, so that we wouldn't be able to glean any information from green grading the coffee that might inform how we would want to roast the coffee. So uh, cupped and cupped and cupped, I think I cupped my own coffee four times on Friday. And then I did my uh, green grading. And then we did our practice roast, the practice roast session I did right after my green grading session. And that was a session where we were given another different coffee that was not the competition coffee. This one was also a washed Columbia, though. And this one, I guess the idea behind this practice roast was you have 40 minutes on the roaster to basically do like a proof of concept. So at that point, everybody had cupped their coffee. You can go out there with a similar coffee and say, hey, if I roast it like this, like, am I going to be able to stick to my graph? And then once we roasted that coffee, they took it away from us and we never saw it again. I think they donated it to charity. So we had no idea of the actual taste attributes that roast would give us other than what we're informed of as roasters with our experience. So that was day two, green grading, cupping, and practice roasting. And then the evening after day two, going into basically all morning for day three, uh, was I was writing out the roast plan. So the sample roast was not scored. That was just for us to be able to taste the competition coffee. The practice roast was not scored. That was just for us to be able to kind of see uh, what we might want to do as the profile. The green grading was scored and the roast plan was scored. The roast plan itself uh, had a couple different scored categories. Uh, The backside of the sheet was where you had to mark on an intensity scale what you thought your sweetness, your body, and I think it was acidity would be on the coffee that you had yet to roast. And then I also wrote about three paragraphs about the aroma, fragrance, and taste uh, would be for the coffee I had yet to roast. And then they scored all that stuff on accuracy from when they cup the coffee. Uh, the front side of the sheet is you have to write out. Uh, there's a little section where you can write your roast plan, but you, have, you get scored on your start weight, your finish weight, your color scale uh, reading for whole bean and green coffee, start temperature and finish temperature. I did really well on the roast plan. Uh, nailed my, uh, I, th- I think I... I don't. I don't remember. I, I I missed points on the uh, on the color meter thing because again, I'm a newer roaster and we didn't have we didn't have a color meter at Mostert before this competition. So using one of those to guess the difference between the color of whole bean and roasted coffee uh, was not, or of ground coffee rather, was not something that I had experience with. But there's going to be if something scores like a 68 on a color scale for roasted coffee the difference is not always linear so it's not always going to score like a 58 on a ground grind color uh if you roasted it really fast it might score like a 54 uh, a lighter lower color if you roasted it long slow and low it might even be up closer to within a few points of the other coffee that's another thing that i learned Uh, i didn't miss many points on that part though the, uh, the next part was, the the final roast. And that was, uh, the part where I felt like I should have been nervous, but I wasn't.
0: I was wondering if the, if in that final roast, you could feel the clock ticking down, so to speak, you know, the, the, the tension of the moment. Do you feel that? Are you, are you feeling that competition or are you just in your own head?
1: No, I mean, it was just there. It was just roasting coffee. Um, uh, yeah, there's, certain things that'll make you nervous in life. And, you know, we all have our different foibles. I, I have trouble feeling shame, (laughs) Um, but also I was one of those annoying kids back in school who was a good test taker. Uh, Everybody hates that kind of kind of guy. Yeah. And so when it came to this competition, it was just another test. I I did have a little bit of a hiccup because I hadn't, uh, I basically turned off all the notifications on my phone on Saturday before my final roast. And so I showed up at my scheduled time and submitted my roast plan, but there apparently had a couple hours before been announced a delay uh, that something occurred where everybody was being pushed back a little bit. Because I checked in and got my coffee and I was escorted out to the tent, I got out there and somebody was on my roaster. There were three roasters in the tent, they were all basically the same roaster, but talking to the other roasters, we all kind of figured out, oh, are you on roaster one? or Are you on roaster three? Uh, we all kind of got slight differences out of uh, what temperature readings were. And so they offered to me, oh, you can go on roaster one right away. And I was like, no, I'm going to roast on the roaster that I wrote my plan for roaster three where a different gentleman had just started roasting. The other aspect I forgot to mention about this is that when you go out there, you're taking your tray of your empty bags for your finished product and your discard coffee and your defect bag and, and your green coffee in another bag. And that's it. You're not allowed to take out notes or any technology or anything like that. So before I went in to check in for my final roast, I was basically just, you know, I called it Bart Simpsoning. Uh, for like the last hour or two before roasting, it's just constantly rewriting my recipe of what I was going to roast so I can memorize it uh, so that in between the few minute walk from checking in to getting out to my roaster, I could just write it down real quick and I'd be good to go. But because somebody was on my roaster and my chaperone went back inside and all the other judges were busy. I I asked, uh, Emily who's, uh, works at Mercon specialty and we've imported some, or uh, bought some coffee from them. She's, she's really awesome. Uh, I was like, can I like write my stuff down now? No, not until you're on the roaster. So I was pacing back and forth for like 20 some minutes, just repeating my numbers in my head to try to keep it all fresh, uh, 632 grams in, uh. 562 grams out or 538 grams out. Yeah, I'm rusty on it now, but I was just like, and then going through the adjustments in my head, the times and the different temperatures when I was going to make adjustments to either the halogen, the air or the agitation and all of that. So that was the part where I got a little stressful uh, during those 20 minutes. But once my roaster cleared, Emily, let me check onto my, my machine. I got my blank piece of paper out and wrote down my, uh, my recipe. I looked at it. Yeah, it was the right one.
0: So. You're going to wake up in like a month in the middle of the night and just shout out something from the recipe. 632 grams. Yeah. Yeah. It already (laughs)
1: happened. One of the reasons why it was easy for me to remember some of the numbers is because I wanted to make sure this really meant something to me. And you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the experience of dealing with slight variability and certain things. And I knew what i basically wanted my batch size to be so that i could groom out some defects of the coffee because the competition coffee uh, had a pretty wide variance in screen size Uh, lots of little guys lots of big guys but mostly in the middle so i knew i was gonna have to sort a lot of that stuff out at the end since we only had to turn in a pound of coffee uh, i roasted so i'd have at least enough to sort out like 70 or 80 grams of coffee if i needed to but instead of just sticking with something that was you know, numbers that could have been any numbers. I knew I wanted my start temperature to be in the mid 350s in terms of the initial temperature of the roaster. So I went 356 because I grew up uh, 56 Parkview was uh, my childhood home. Pick numbers, as many numbers that made sense without pushing the envelope of what I could thermally accomplish to uh, include 62 because uh, June 2nd was uh, my dog's birthday. And she died last year. And I was like, yeah, well, uh, we'll make this mean something. Sorry. (laughs) I still get a little emotional talking about her, but so those numbers were easy to remember. Uh, the, the adjustment numbers on the roaster were a little bit more different, but, uh, once I got out there and wrote everything down, it was just go time. And (laughs) I actually, uh, found out afterwards that, uh, there were videographers kind of flitting around the area and catching different shots and things like that. I thought they were just shooting like B-roll for use later. So uh, one of them, uh, Karina from Saver Brands, who sponsored my trip out to uh, Hawaii here where I'm going to uh, do a roasting seminar for the Hawaii Coffee Association. Uh, Karina was going around taking some videos and I had met her earlier in the expo. And so I was just joking with her <laughs> uh, while I was roasting because I was, I was feeling loose. And I found out afterwards and I felt like man if i ended up not doing well the fact that it was on instagram live streaming they, it would have looked like this guy isn't taking this seriously i was but i was just feeling loose so i almost that knowing that i ended up placing first place and i was joking around on the video live stream of the competition i i felt kind of like like you know put on the cool sunglasses kind of thing <laughs> there for a second i'm i know i'm not i know that doesn't make make a lick of difference one way or another but that was the lead up, uh, the three days of basically working that were the competition to lead up to uh, the huge anticipation we ended up with on Sunday.
0: And I've heard this story about how you thought somebody else standing up there with you was going to win. And so you kind of gave them a place, yeah. Twice, yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, oh, well, um, their name didn't get called, so they're going to be the winner. So I'm going to fist bump them now because I'm going to get called.
1: Well, so it was interesting. I talked to a lot of other competitors and judges um, about previous competitions and things like that, and everybody had talked about how, um, you know, a lot of times roasters competition would be announced first. It doesn't have the spectacle of the other competitions. The barista stage is like a bunch of rock stars, you know. Uh, Brewer's Cup draws a lot of eyes because people are really interested in innovative techniques. Cup tasters, my favorite thing to watch that uh, that Ryan competed in is, is just... You know, waiting for somebody to yell, we got to die. But uh, yeah, roasters, it's all done with that. We didn't have crowd service this year. There's not a lot of interaction or exhibition. So a lot of times they announce it first because I guess most of the attendees just don't really pay much attention to it, even though we're, you know, the people who are responsible for a good chunk of flavor and coffee, uh, you know not bitter or anything. Uh, anyway, uh, what was really interesting though is, um, we took the day, Ryan and Andy uh, and uh, Paloma, Ryan's wife, and, and uh, you know, some most recruit people to kind of walk around. We went to a place called Broadsheet Roasters in Harvard Square. Uh, Aaron McDougall, one of the competitors who ended up placing seventh, it's uh, his shop, real cool spot. We just kind of walked around for a while, showed up at the expo to catch the finals of a uh, Cup Tasters championship. And as they were setting up for Cup Tasters, could see behind the stage for cup tasters that the judges for roasters were starting another cupping. It was just like, we were all just like, wait a minute, what's going on? Then they all, and I, I, I never really asked or got final word about what it was, whether everything was so close that they had to recup, or there might've been something wrong with the first cupping, or whatever it may have been. but the whole time I'm trying to watch cup tasters I'm looking over at the judges all recupping all the coffees and and they made they were they were at it for a while to where uh, a lot of us roasters were talking to each other like what do you thinks going on? what's this like is this good or is this bad? And they were still actually uh, cupping and judging the coffee when announcements started uh, the delayed, uh, announcements started for uh, winners of other competitions. And so they did, they, they announced, I don't remember the exact order, but they did a uh, latte art and coffee in good spirits and brewer's cup, I think. And uh, there was another one they announced, uh, but about halfway through those other announcements, we looked back and uh, some of the other roasters had actually gone back and gotten the leftover samples of their coffee because the judges turned the results in. So I went back there and I grabbed my sample bag and I popped one in my mouth without looking, and it it didn't taste very good. It it had a little uh, little carbony taste to it, and I was just like, "Oh, s this." I didn't. I'm sorry. I'm censoring my profanity because we swear a lot at work.
0: No, no, no. Feel free. Uh, we're a coffee <laughs> show. It's profanity.
1: And so I went over to uh, where the most crew were sitting and I just put the, put my beans in my backpack. I was like, yeah guys I don't I don't think we got it i don't I don't think I made the podium and so I went over to talk to some of the other roasters and they were all everybody was pouring their beans on the little table. there was no grinders or brewing equipment it had all been packed up at that point so so we were all just like looking at the color and like eating each other's coffees. And I was talking to uh, one of the other people, uh, I think it was Evan from Elixir Coffee, I think. He was like, oh, yeah, grab me your business card while, while, while you're grabbing it, grab your coffee. And so I was like, all right, fine, you know, no harm. So I grabbed my beans and I went over and I poured them on the table and they looked a lot better than I expected. They looked pretty good. And I tasted my coffee and it was, I ate a couple more beans and it was basically just as sweet as the sweetest coffee I had tasted from anybody else. And so I was like, oh, hold on. Hold on now. Like, I guess that what I mentioned earlier, there was a lot of variance in the beans. Uh, I missed when I was grooming one of the larger beans that uh, had scorched on the face a little bit. And that just ended up being the first one I popped in my mouth. So I had a complete 180 of like, oh, dang, I, I might still be in this. And then they they announced that they were going to start announcing roasters and so at that point i was kind of turned around i didn't know what to expect and then the guy who i thought was going to win it all got announced as sixth place and that turned me around even more uh joe uh is what he goes by named wimbo yang he's a guy out of portland uh we talked we got to talk some a lot of coffee over the weekend as uh, super like one of the smartest coffee people you're going to meet. He builds his own latte art robots. And in Orange County qualifiers in 2020, he beat second place uh, by as much as second place beat 13th place. So he basically lapped the field in qualifiers. And when they announced him sixth, I was thinking, okay, what else is going on here? So I I got faked out at that point. And then they were going through and announcing – uh, Andrew, another Portland guy in fifth, and then uh, Evan in fourth. And I was like, oh, I, I, I actually cupped with him a couple times. Like, And then they announced uh, Rudy in third. And I was like, oh, I, I cupped with Rudy a handful of times. They announced uh, uh, Jenna Padoka in, uh, in second. I was like, I, I cupped with her a bunch too, actually. I was standing next to to, uh, Justin, uh, who owns uh, Asip Coffee in Merced, California. We had met in uh, Oakland and then also in Orange County and uh, talked a little bit over the weekend in Boston. So that's when I I looked over at him and just like I was like, well, it's all or nothing. And we fist bumped because I felt really good about his coffee. But then they said my name instead. And from there, it was kind of a blur until I called my dad. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. I expected to perform in a way that I would be proud of myself and be able to learn and grow for the next year's competition. And I guess I just had grown enough over the past couple of years roasting at Mostra that I was able to adapt to what I needed to do to roast uh, what the judges would find to be the best coffee.
0: Well, it's an incredible achievement. I mean, congratulations. And then next up in that, that competition path you mentioned earlier is the world championships in Milan in June. And I assume that'll just be like old hat by, <laughs> by the time you get there. Since you've already done this, you know, you already got a championship under your belt. What's one more, right?
1: Well, there's a lot more to it. The The world stage uh, has proven challenging for a lot of different people and a lot of different competitions. And, and historically, how the United States Roasting Championship has changed over the years. This year... I think it probably mirrored the world competition more than any other year. I I can't say for certain because I hadn't participated in previous years' competitions. It's going to be different. The roaster is going to be in front of a grandstand. There's going to be bleachers of people watching me roast my competition roasts. There's going to be a single origin as well as a blend component to the competition. So there's going to be the sponsored coffee and then three other coffees uh, to also roast and also write roast plans accurately for and write a blend plan and then uh, get scored on all of that in addition to green grading. So it's just taking it's, you know, a spinal tap. It's just taking the the U.S. comp and kind of turning it up to 11. So there's quite a bit of practice to do to get ready for that. The roaster uh, sponsors for Worlds are going to be Stronghold again for sample roasting, which I'm, I'm familiar with now, and uh, Geeson, which uh, way back at the beginning of my story, the, the first real roasters that I apprenticed on was a 15 kilo Geeson with Heather back at Bird Rock. That was one of the first, that was the first geese to ever hit the United States. So the six kilo model that I'll be roasting on in Milan is going to be way different. Uh, It's going to have some bells and whistles, so I'm going to have to hunt down some practice time on one of those in the next uh, you know, three or four weeks (laughs) before I take off. (laughs) But yeah, it's going to be great. I've I've (laughs) joked around with people, it's almost like it's almost starting to feel like I'm, you know, I'm Team USA here.
0: I know that everyone at Mostra is excited uh, for what you've already done and what just the potential of what lays lays ahead and being part of that. I'm wondering what role your teammates have in in helping you either preparing or guiding you through the event or just to be there supporting you. Because one thing I notice about Mostra, I don't want to say more than other shops, but it's just something that's very out front with Mostra is that you really are, are a team. Like there seems to be a lot of like engagement in, in like a team kind of atmosphere, which I don't want to say isn't like the first thing you notice with other roasters ever. It just is seemingly so obvious with Mostra.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's kind of a no man is an Island sort of thing, but at the same time, you know, this is a lot of companies talk about, Oh, our family, this and that and the other, but I mean, Mostra really does feel like a second family to me. Uh, and it's especially important with family. You know, my family's 2000 miles away back in Ohio or in Michigan. And so having that support and it's, it's not just, oh, it feels like family. Like for a lot of them, it's, it actually is family. Jalyn, one of her, one of the owners of Mostra, three of her sisters work at the company. Uh, two of the owners, Bev and Sam are married and have been together since high school, you know, Mike, uh, the the fourth owner, cooks family meals for us all the time, which are freaking amazing because he's cooked at Michelin star restaurants, and he he runs his own uh, private dining called the Lab Dining Experience. Ownership makes sure you know that it's not just you know most of family. T M do 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 you know it's not like that. It's a uh, you know when when there's hardships in our lives, they're there to talk and. You know, if we need help, if uh, somebody needs uh, covered at work, you know, whatever it is, it's we're we're all there. We're, you know, all hands on deck for each other in all aspects of our lives. So that is something that I guess if it's evident as a company, it's just because it's evident in the people that comprise the company. That aspect of contribution that I mentioned earlier is really because we care about each other and we care about those around us in our communities, whether that community is our household or our neighborhood or our coffee community that stretches from the Philippines to Yemen to, you know, wherever it may be to here in Hawaii where I met an awesome farmer named uh, Delvin so far. And I'm going to meet a couple more awesome people and his, uh, we actually met uh, Delvin the farmer on his one-year-old daughter uh, Lila's birthday yesterday. And it's just, you know, it's that sense of community and and caring and and contributing and giving back and supporting each other is, is that evident thing. Uh, And that's really, you know, the same thing with the competition thing is, you know, I've got, we all have our own mental foibles and things like that. And for me, In the competition and in the lead up to the competition, part of it was just like I put my blinders in and just zoned. I wouldn't have been able to do that without people supporting the rest of what otherwise I would have been doing. Or, you know, with after, you know, I take the blinders off and we're cupping coffee with the whole production team. uh, Ryan, Aya, Andy, Tim, Mike, everybody, you know, coming together and, you know, you know. (laughs) not holding back on anything. We're all honest with each other on that stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of support that's going to kind of take me through uh, the next month and through Milan and beyond that. And uh, it's a good thing. Yeah.
0: uh, Very cool. Very cool uh, to see from the outside and, and, uh, and inspiring as well. uh, For those of us who have worked either in this industry or just in industries where we felt that that feeling of community and family. I already grilled Ryan on kind of what's next for most coffee. So I'm going to let you off the hook <laughs> at that one just for today. But I do want to make sure that I ask is if there's anything I didn't ask you today about you or about most that you wanted to share. And uh, then when you are out in the world and you stop into another coffee shop or another coffee roaster, what do you order?
1: I can't really think of anything uh, too much that I want to share about myself. You know, it's, Kind of went over my journey in coffee, and I uh, mentioned there, you know, some, you know, personal things to get over along the way, and and I think, I guess, if anything, that's something is to, you know, one of the one of the things after winning the competition, I, I it's still sinking in that I won the competition, and part of that sinking in was um, a little kind of episode of imposter syndrome where I was feeling like, you know, is this? Did I really? do I belong here? And that can sneak up on, you know, people, you know, that or different uh, mental health challenges can sneak up on people in times they don't expect or when you would expect it and you still can't deal with it. And just, you know, mental health is a super important thing for everybody. So, you know, that's something that we all need to more recognize as a society. So, I guess, you know, from myself to talking to everybody at large, that's, that's one thing I would say. Uh, in terms of what I order when I go into a shop, usually I just go for a straight shot of espresso first thing. Uh, if I'm feeling fancy, I'll get like a shot and a drip or something like that. My favorite coffee drink is a macchiato. And I am the worst customer to order a macchiato because when I go any place and I drink a shot of espresso, no matter how good or bad the shot is, I'll be able to at least find three positive things to say about it. If somebody says, Hey, how was it? You know? Um, but Macchiato is like, that's my, like, that's my there. The, there's a Vonnegut book about the guy, this guy who, right. Uh, is painting this masterpiece and it's hidden in a barn and he doesn't want anybody to see it. And it's like uh, Macchiato to me is like, don't S with my Macchiato. And I'm very particular. And I'm a dick about it. And so I don't order macchiato at a place until I've been there a couple times. Like, I don't even ask our uh, new baristas for macchiato at, at moster until I've had a couple shots from them just because they're already nervous enough around me. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm an I'm a espresso.
0: That's an incredible amount of self-awareness, Nick. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> you sharing that with me. <laughs> also, anyone listening, go read everything Kurt Vonnegut's ever written. Uh, Nick, I really just appreciate you taking time off from your trip to talk to me and to the people listening to this show. And, you know, once again, I congratulate you on what you've achieved and wish you the best, you know, moving forward. And, And we're going to be excited to follow along.
1: Aces. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. To recap, this show is about tangents. Coffee is just the beginning. I learned a lot about the competition experience today and, by extension, how Nick thinks about the world. The first surprise was that the event in Boston was outside in a tent, I assume due to COVID, but there was an indoor convention. Knowing that it was spring and temperature and humidity can impact a roast, it seems crazy that there would be such a drastic variable unaccounted for. Nick, specifically, would seemingly have fairly little roasting practice in that sort of climate. He lives and works here in San Diego. It was 52 degrees with 75% humidity in Boston on the last day of the event. The second surprise, which should have been obvious, probably was obvious to you, and just not to me, was that if everyone is using the same roasting machines, then many of the roasters wouldn't have experience on those machines. Part of the challenge to becoming the roasting champion is being able to adapt to those types of changes presented to you in real time. Also, probably obvious when considering that the championship is a sponsored event, is that the coffees are provided at the event. And you don't know beforehand which coffee you'll be working with. I think that I assumed, similar to the World Beer Championships, competitors would roast their own coffee to submit. There is an entirely added pressure when it is live in the moment with unknown equipment and an unknown coffee. Finally, to be the roasting champion, You have to be able to do more than just drop beans into the machine. It is a three-day, all-encompassing experience. Nick had to grade green coffee for quality and defects. He roasted. He cupped. He examined the individual beans in his roasted coffee before turning them in on Saturday. And I mean examined them. Competitors go through looking for defects and potential sour beans or aesthetically displeasing ones. Nick mentioned a color meter challenge, and I assumed he meant a printed chart of the potential roasts of a coffee bean. But, uh, no, this is a piece of fancy equipment that literally is measuring the color of the beans, either whole or ground. And this is used to determine a whole host of bean qualities. I'm going to make sure that gets covered in a future episode of Coffee Smarter. A huge thank you and a congratulations go to Nick and the team at Moster Coffee for their U.S. victory. I'll be cheering them on at the world events later this week, in spirit at least. Unless there is room in the Moster Airbnb in Milan for one more. I'm just saying, I could curl up in the corner or bring my own hammock. I'll link to the World Championship site on RoastWestCoast.com and also add links to MosterCoffee.com and, as I mentioned at the top, be sure to follow at MosterCoffee on Instagram to see those World Championship updates. Since you're already clicking around on the internet, you might as well subscribe to this show's newsletter at the aforementioned RoastWestCoast.com. You'll never miss an episode with the free subscription or... Be cool and help this show grow by choosing one of the paid subscription options. Thank you for subscribing at roastwestcoast.com, and thank you to my industry partners who've been helping me build a foundation for this podcast, including Moster Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Ignite Coffee Company, Ascend Roasters, Coffee Cycle Roasting, First Light Whiskey, Maria Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and Cafe Terre. I'll be drinking all of those great coffees and whiskeys this summer, and I hope you are too. Find links to the businesses, subscriptions, and everything else I mentioned on the show today in this episode's notes or online at roastwestcoast.com. I say roastwestcoast.com a lot. I hope it's working. Thanks to all of you for listening. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. For those of you headed out for a cup of coffee this week, please always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer, the podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer, the podcast, wherever you are listening to this show about coffee, or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com.